14th day of the 4th month of the 14th year of this millennium of 2000. Hmm. Full moon period of Aries. The 7th of these group laws, and it's called the Law of the Lower Four. And most of you basically has two interpretations for you at this stage of thinking. It's your concrete mind, the four attributes of your mind, the four subplanes, or the empirical mind if you wish, and of course the four attributes of the personality, the physical body, the etheric body, the emotional body, and the mental body. It's the lower four because it is the instrument of the soul, that by which the soul works, and it's the great illusion. But it's everything that a human unit identifies with and thinks that is real, normally. There's a another interpretation which I haven't got here, but esoterically it also relates to the four spirulae or of the mental unit. I'll just, as most of you are not, don't think much in terms of these permanent atoms, there's six permanent atoms to a human being, the atmic, the buddhic, that of the higher mind, the mental unit, the astral and the physical permanent atoms. And these permanent atoms are that which enables the soul to incarnate through a vehicle. And the spirulae of the atom is like the DNA of all of your samskara. The gross aspects of your samskara, because the more refined aspects, uh, get absorbed into the soul. And um, if you think about it, the soul exists on the abstract domain of the mind, and therefore it is not capable of containing within it those attributes associated with people's desire mind and egotism and hatreds and spites and all of that. Those attributes, those pranas, that type of energy is stored in the permanent atom. And the permanent atoms are units of karma as a consequence. And so when the soul wishes to incarnate, it stimulates or activates a permanent atom within the womb at that moment of conception. And then everything else happens in terms of the a child being formed. If there's no permanent atom activated, a child will not be born. Or it may be born, but it will not have any mind or anything like that. Now, the reason why I bring this subject up, as I said, it's not in this text here, is because I do want to remind you all of this esoteric aspect I don't talk much about, but it's quite significant in our cult philosophy. I don't even talk much about it in the, the series of books I've written about. I think I mention it once, mainly because I don't want to get distracted into a whole topic that would take ages to try to explain. Now, the thing about this mental unit, the Four spirulae, that's the only atom that only has four spirals, four major spirals, and it's on the lower mental plane, is that there's actually a gap between it and the proper permanent atom, which is called the atmic permanent atom. And the science of the Antikorana, which most of you know something about, actually constitutes in bridging the gap between the mental unit and the monastic permanent atom. And that actually has to be done consciously at a certain stage through yogic perception. And as you can do so, then the higher mind is accessible. Now, most human units 
have not bridged this gap and they are incapable therefore of receiving higher mental impressions, the impressions from the higher strata of being. And that's one distinction between initiates and why you have such a high developed sense of purpose and of love and the average human beings who are quite oblivious to many of these attributes and why you can see the world in such a sorry state. It's a matter of time, of course, and D.K. writes in his Cosmic Fire that is one major reason why we must have compassion for average human beings, because they literally at this stage do not have the capacity to think lovingly. That's another aspect of our philosophy and another aspect to do with concept of rebirth. As I said, it's not mentioned really in my books, though I should. And of course, I'm waiting for the book on causation to explain it. And I finally get to write it because I'll have plenty of time then. And they're just spirals of energy. Okay, we'll go now into the law of the law four. And those of you who can see the diagram, and if you Remember the eight-armed cross of direction in space. It's the northwest direction, and the attribute is goodwill. It's emittory goodwill, and basically it's the triumphant result of the evolutionary process, of um, the meditative process. For instance, um, once you've developed a radiant aura and you're a very, very loving being, it's with this energy going this northwest direction that you can use to heal. It's the mechanism of escape from the limitation of the form. And you simply use the term goodwill to describe this type of energy, of escape, the energy of joy and giving to others that which you have gained. So it's the ending of your that major cycle of your evolutionary progress. The next blink of the, the clock, if you wish, brings a hand to the northern direction, which is initiation and, and the amount of accomplishment, when you literally are God in terms of that particular attribute. Okay, it's quite important for all of you to actually fully understand the attributes of this eight-armed cross of direction in space, both in its mutable cross aspect and its fixed cross aspect, and then later on in the cardinal cross aspect. I, in my mandalas book, I spend quite some time explaining it, and I introduce it in the earlier books as well, and then continue and continue, because this particular cross... This eight-armed cross is the cross of the movement of all wheels. It's for that reason why the diaphragm center directs energies from below the diaphragm to above. It's an eight-petal lotus. It is literally the embodiment of this eight-armed cross. Later on, when you read my book on the Toro, you see that some of the other chakras actually get converted into these eight-armed crosses when Kundalini is awakened and it produces what in Buddhism is called the minor cities, the minor psychic powers, clairvoyance, clairaudience, psychometry, etc. Now this law relates to the attainment of the fifth initiation. So though we're talking about um, 
at the start with this concept of the lower four of the personality attribute it is really something which is fully mastered at the fifth when somebody becomes a master of wisdom a master of the entire evolutionary progress and another term for the master of wisdom is a dragon of life the master is literally a dragon and it's quite interesting sometime i've described it somewhat in my books of the evolution of the serpent power this kundalini at the base of the spine into a full blown dragon of wisdom over time and you can see if you think about it that that is the reality so as the kundalini is liberated and it awakens more and more chakras and grows and grows and grows wings and fire breathes out fire at the end when your whole head center is is awakened every aspect of it and what comes out of your mouth is living fire that is a master wisdom and you can see that that's the transformation of kundalini into a dragon and you can see also from that that the human kingdom and the dragon kingdom are virtually synonymous terms over time the esoteric name is the law of etheric union and the symbol is a male and female form placed back to back Incidentally, in this writing here of mine, I don't explain the symbols and symbols on the whole at all, except when needed, mainly because DK explains them in A Cosmic Fire, and I don't want to repeat his information. But I do explain some of the symbols where he, what he omits. The governing ray is the fifth of scientific reasoning, and the esoteric ruler is Capricorn the goat. And you can see again this fifth of scientific reasoning also relating to what I said earlier about the mental unit and the mental permanent atom and how the bridge must be built. And this is done through scientific reasoning and scientific reasoning aspiring towards the heart which is sold the Sambhogakaya flower. The concept of goodwill here is the will to good, which relates to the demonstration of the will that impulses evolutionary purpose to produce the good for all. The good refers to that which produces evolutionary perfection. Master wisdom wielding this law resides consciously upon the atomic plane. Thus the lower four, from this perspective, refers to the lower four planes of perception, buddhi, manas, the astral, and dense planes. The law therefore concerns the means whereby a master organizes attributes of cosmic mind and focuses them into those of the ashram, his ashram, so that eventually dharmakaya becomes the zone of residence. So this dharmakaya is the expression of cosmic mind and the ability for a human units to be able to perceive it, express it through a fully awakened head lotus. And the purpose of the master is to awaken the head lotus of the group of which he or she is the central point. So you see this law of the lower four, though it looks um, simple, is a little bit more complicated than at first meets the eye. All must come to be directed according to the divine will of the lords of Shambhala. Streams of lives are thus coordinated into one overall organism, one mandala of expression, flowing on through time to produce their liberation. Normally, the concept of the lower four refers to the sum of the personal constitution, a mind, the desire body, an ethic body and the corporal form. The mind also possesses four subdivisions of its concrete expression. We are concerned with the development of the sum of the personality, thus the expression of the mayor of things. When the mind is utilized in conjunction with an awakened heart, then true wisdom can be evoked. 
The effects of the law of the lower four effectively produces the gain of everything that the symbolism the earth conjures by way of the mastery of mind, and therefore again this mastery of samsara, the sum of it. The work of the master is to overcome the limitations of the concrete minds of those in his ashram, so that they can, be, can come to be receptive to the expression of concepts from the abstract domains of mind. The clear light of mind then comes into perspective and the samsara sunyata nexus discovered where the disciple must learn to reside. So you can see again this law of the law of four is that which enables one, if you follow it, to sit at that junction between sunyata the void or the real and samsara the unreal and to integrate one with the other and esoterically if you look at this law of the law for in terms of symbolism let's say the geometry you literally get the hexagram form the interrelated triangles the triangle pointed upwards and the triangle pointed downwards and they interwoven in a place of commutability and that point of interweaving is the point of production of this law where the higher space of the higher domain of cosmos and the lower domain of samsara are integrated into one and you can clearly see i think that this is the objective of the group as a whole to generate within themselves they're working to towards Shambhala and they are incorporated in their physical bodies and they we can also say of course hierarchy or Shambhala if you want and the purpose is to integrate the two the the spiritual with the the physical so that they're perfectly coordinated and functioning as one and so the law of the law of four is that which brings that integration about the the star of initiation what was in my mind before I said the star of initiation was the star of David, which is a Jewish symbol. We're talking about the clear light of mind. And the clear light of mind is when the mind has no thoughts in it. It is just simply, the text often just say luminous. It is just illuminated with the primordial or the natural state of mind. It is at rest, at peace. It's like an ocean of mind that is quiescent and it is luminous it's luminosity itself the fires of mind are brought to the highest most abstract state of burning so it's not the intensity of a furnace flame it's the luminosity of cold light clear light and with that state of mind which is its natural state when there are no thoughts modifying it um, that's the symbolism of an enlightened mind. Because when a thought appears, it can be analysed and understood in totality. And again, the most people can't think without the concept of the emotions. There's not one skerrick of emotional stirring in the clear light of mind. Just pure luminosity. The Master is therefore specifically focused upon bringing all members of his ashram to follow the laws of group evolution to master all mental emotional samskaras and to transmute them so that the certain initiation and the transfiguration 
experience is attained. We must remember here that the law of sacrifice is basic for humanity and governs the entire path of life. Its theme therefore runs throughout all of the other laws. Another consequence of this law of the lower form of Ephric union concerns the union with members of the fifth creative hierarchy which is the Diva Kingdom. Here the male and female form, standing back to back, the symbol, symbol representing the sign, represents the human male and the female Diva Kingdoms that are polar opposites in nature and parallel streams of evolution. Being back to back, they can be oblivious to each other's ex existence. And you can see that most humans are oblivious to the existence of Divas and on the whole, the divas go about doing their work without being aware of human interrelation. When you really think about the diva kingdom, there are only a certain categories of divas that work with the humans. Most of them are concerned with nature, with formative forces um, and other things and that you know, human civilization is not their concern. They can be oblivious to each other's existence Esoterically, they must learn to turn around and to embrace. This law thus concerns the method whereby full effective union is established. The Debras embody the substance of the human thought and desire impulses. They are the sum of the fiery substance of our meditative constructs as well as of the bodies of manifestation of the Sambhogakaya flowers. Humans generate the volition that organizes this substance. And as their thoughts become increasingly refined, so the interrelation between human and diva becomes barely distinguishable. Until at a certain stage a fusion or mergence between the two streams occurs. So you can see that as humans become more and more refined in consciousness, their consciousness starts to merge into the natural consciousness state of the diva. Because the diva is pure refined mind and it's our emotional samskaras uh, on the whole and of course concretions of mind that prevent us interrelating with the divas in this way but as we through our meditative work as we work upon our emotions and our minds and become more and more refined thinkers and more clear thinkers and we generate this clear light of mind then our minds have approximated to all intents and purposes the diva mind and therefore the embrace happens. You've turned around and the diva and human face each other symbolically. All then, all is then revealed in the clear light of the mind. This law defines the mode of interrelation between the two kingdoms producing the inevitable results of Buddhahood. The master works by the domain of the mind and with diva substance utilizing the laws of mind by the generation of the of intensified light and controlling fiery substance through mantra. This is the reason why this law is governed by the fifth ray of scientific aptitude. The fires of mind are also ruled by this ray. The ethric union implied here is also between the monad upon the second cosmic ether and the ethric body of the enlightened human unit. This unit eventually integrates the entire head center which exists upon the highest ethric subplane. So you can see um, what the law of ethric union really means. That the, you 
your nadis become so refined and purified and the head center becomes increasingly awakened and of course at the third initiation the ray of the monad descends to the base of the spine and awakens the feminine forces there and the monad is masculine and then eventually it generates the full blown glory of the thousand petal lotus and so the ephric union is the union between that thousand petal lotus and the monadic eye which exists on the second cosmic ether and this is the the, the the true meaning of the symbol this union eventually integrates the entire head center which exists upon the highest etheric subplane in this case the male figure is the monad and the female is the head center of a, fe of a human unit the way of response between the human unit and the monadic self is manifested through a scientific methodology applied to the path producing enlightenment this process sets the conditions that inevitably produces initiation into the mysteries of life. And you can see this whole process leading into the mysteries of life, looking here at the word life in its true sense of being monadic life. And what you're initiated into is the mysteries of what your monad truly is where it comes from and where it goes to. The third initiation is at first implicated, which is the spring, springboard for taking the fifth. The mind is thereby set to build antikranas to the abstract mind, and then to the cosmic mind, Dharmakaya, in the form of a line of cosmic ascent for the monadic life. The nature of this ascent concerns the mysteries of the initiation path via the laws of expansive response, sacrifice, and polar union. Esoterically, the sign Capricorn, the goat, governs this law because Capricorn governs the mountain that is the sum of the substance of mind, which comes to be mastered by the one wielding this law. Mind, in all its expressions, then becomes the tool for the fifth degree initiate. Yeah, I was just sort of thinking, um, my book, the series I'm writing now, is, is of course called The Treatise of Mind, and therefore I spend a great deal of my time <laughs> meditating upon mind with a small m and a capital m and trying to explain the significance of that interrelationship to the world's disciples and all those books is really about that subject it's um, exoterically the sign libra the balances rules the sign and the beatitude is the seventh the remaining beatitudes refer to the five attributes of mind the five elements etc that come to be mastered as a consequence of following the path to the fifth initiation. The seventh beatitude is, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The demonstration of the type of mercy or compassion by the master for those that are ensnared by the various attributes of mind produces an energization from the domains of logoic mind to help liberate all monastic lives. So when we're talking about logoic mind, we're literally talking about cosmic mental plane and all monastic lives are all lives that are subordinate to manas, to the energy of mind itself, and it's both diva and human. And then by deduction, all lesser kingdoms of nature. And so it's the integration of diva with the human kingdom that this particular law is fundamentally associated with in such a way that cosmic mind can integrate or work through both in one expression. Libra the balances 
governs the cycles of meditation and of the elated yogic austerities that help bring up this process of governing all the elements and forces of mind. That's the ending of this particular section and you can see that after dealing with this final of the group laws and we're ending up with the, the concept of bringing into manifestation cosmic mind and by a whole ashram of disciples that are working upon their minds so that they can establish themselves in the domain of the higher mind and thus become members of the fraternity of cosmic humanity and so the next um, section which we'll go into next week probably is the laws of the cosmic mental plane we'll begin to understand some of these higher cosmic laws and um, these seven group laws are difficult enough but understandable the laws of the cosmic mental plane from which they derive more abstract but you can see the number seven which we've just been explained, these relate to the seven um, sacred petals of the heart. And strangely enough, the five cosmic laws, uh, you know, the laws of the cosmic mental plane, relate to the non-sacred petals of the heart. And so there's a, a seemingly inverse process. And that's a mystery I'll leave with you um, to think out until maybe next week or the week after. Um, so if you can think this out, there's profound mystery here as to why are the lesser laws relate to the sacred petals of the heart and the greater laws to the non-sacred ones. Esoterists should be able to work these sort of things out relatively easy.